Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, a place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Breaker and Dwayne Osterland, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Dwayne co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma, including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Dwayne are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath, and let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm with my co-host, Marnie Breaker, and we have a great guest today. Marnie, do you want to introduce our guest? Yes, I am really honored and excited to introduce Stan Tatkin, who is a clinician, researcher, author, teacher, and developer of a psychobiological approach to couple therapy, which is also known as PACT. We scheduled this interview several months ago. We have been so excited about it. We have been talking about it and preparing for it, and I am so glad that it's here. So without further ado, let's introduce and welcome Stan. All right. Let's start this interview. So um, we're going to jump in by saying, you know, Stan, we are actually, Dwayne and I are both in your current level one pack training. I think you know that. And, cool. Yeah. And um, we've heard that betrayal is a big topic in module two. So we haven't gotten there yet, obviously. So we're anticipating that in a few weeks from now, we'll probably have a lot more answers than we do today. So that's kind of great for the interview. We've got lots of questions. Tons of questions. Very excited to to be able to talk with you about all of this. Um, uh, just for me, I've been a big fan of your work for quite a while. So I'm so excited to be in the training. And a lot of your work is I guess, influenced me in some of the ways in which I, I look at betrayal trauma, but I feel like um, I'm just beginning to do that in some ways. So I'm so excited to have you on and, and to start to talk about it. Thank you. Me too. And Stan, we, we do, Dwayne and I do these Helping Couples Heal workshops every few months with couples that are recovering from betrayal trauma. And we have incorporated right. um, a bunch of information about attachment and your work into our training. But again, like Dwayne said, we're just kind of starting that process. Um, we've realized, right. I think, in the last year or so how important this concept is to helping couples recover. And so talking about it, I think, is just so important. And I'm really, really excited. So I'm going to start with the first question. Okay. Um, why are you so passionate about couples therapy, about working with couples? <laughs> so much so that you created an entire institute to train therapists to learn how to help couples heal. It, it's interesting because when I was I was an, uh, a trainee, not even in, an intern, I had my first uh, experience with a couple, uh, and it was a very difficult experience for me. And I and I thought, no, I'll never work with couples ever after that. And uh, so it wasn't until many, many years later that uh, that I found it really the, the thing I wanted to do for the rest of my career. And I think it started with working with, uh, with parent-infant pairs uh, and trying to do prevention work. And that, uh, that was hard because uh, difficult to get people 
who just have newborns or very young children to come in with their children to be observed and to be uh, to be helped in their interactions, right? And so um, many more people, I think, wanted lectures on it. They didn't really want to do any work. And so I switched over to adult pair bonding, and I found that there's so many similarities that uh, the, that it was an easy transition. Right, moving from from looking at the the child adult attachment and how they interact and see how that plays out in our adult relationships. Very similar, except for the asymmetry part, which is a big part of it, right? The asymmetry of, of an infant or a child with a, an adult caregiver, uh, as opposed to the symmetry and the conditionality of, uh, of an adult romantic attachment system. Um, but other than that, what gives way to secure attachment in childhood is the same thing that gives way to secure attachment in adulthood. Right. Well, let me explain. Let me explain. Um, the infant is totally dependent on the outside environment uh, being outside environment being the adult uh, or adults that are looking after the infant. So in that sense, infant has no power, no say, can't determine uh, uh, its destiny. Uh, its destiny is determined by genetics and constitution and mostly environment. And so therein lies the asymmetry. Uh, somebody has more power. Whereas in adulthood, we think, well, both people are uh, having the same power. They both determine their destinies, unlike in childhood. So that's the, that's the big difference. And it is a yeah, big difference. Yeah, huge difference. Huge difference. So can we talk a little bit for our listeners, like when you say attachment, can you give a brief overview of that because you also look at attachment through the terms of like island and wave and anchors and a lot of people go attachment right. what do you mean attachment really has to do with a biological predicate or a biological mandate that in our species we have to feel bonded to at least one other person in order to feel safe and secure in an infancy we're born, unlike other mammals, we're born too early in the sense that we are absolutely 100% dependent on the caregiver in order to survive the beginning. We can't walk, we can't talk, we can't do anything. And so, uh, and so this dependency we think of as the attachment system, which is the infant or child or adult's felt sense of safety and security with that person, with that individual. Right. So that we, we need that bonding to be able to survive. We need that bonding in order to survive. Otherwise, we can't literally survive, right, without food and water. We can't literally survive also without holding warmth, care. Uh, and we can't, our brain doesn't survive without interaction. So all of those would lead to failure to thrive, and we wouldn't make it as a species. So does that go into adulthood then? So we kind of take that that infant child need, and it right um, transferred into our adult relationships. 
Yeah, it goes into our adult relationships. We still need it. We don't outgrow it. We think we outgrow a lot of things, and we do outgrow a tremendous number of things, uh, outgrowing in the sense that we're moving always towards more complexity, more understanding, more autonomy. But we're still dependent type creatures. We still need another person, at least one person, to depend on, and hopefully it's reciprocal, for our lives, uh, you know, someone that we can trust. And, uh, and that we found uh, early, as early as the 1930s uh, with the Harvard study, Harvard Medical School study, on what is happiness, happiness, longevity, health, that our need for a secure attachment with at least one other person is actually vital for a life of happiness and a long life and a life free of illness, yeah, relatively, right? So, um, so this is a, a big, big thing for our species. Uh, it's, uh, you can't really argue with it. It just is what it is. And so we are... Um, we are uh, a crew that um, pair bonds uh, at all times, even in herds. And even though we started off in a pair, we continue looking for uh, ways to pair off throughout the lifespan, most of us. Right. It's almost like in our biology, we, we have to do that. We biology. have to do that. Yeah. 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 That's right. So Stan, this is a really great opportunity then to start talking about adult relationships, right? And couples. So why is it so important for couples to become experts in each other's attachment styles in order to heal their relationships, in order to thrive as a coupleship? Well, if we look at the human condition and the human primate, which we are, as we are, we basically aren't su <laughs> really suitable for very long-term relationship because of our nature. And so, uh, and so it, it's been determined uh, or guessed by biological anthropologists that we have about a four-year relationship span, enough to, uh, enough to procreate at least one child, and then uh, we either die off or we split and we mix the gene pool up. So nature really cares only about the continuation of the species. It doesn't have a plan for relationship. So that's up to us. The reason we have to really do better than the average human being when we uh, pair off with another human being, whether it's romance or whether it's just a survival unit uh, or just uh, a union of uh, a group of people who are trying to survive in the samsara uh, or wherever we are, is that we, we have to make agreements that ensure each other's survival. That's the fundamental reason we're doing it. And then hopefully also, uh, you know, guarantee our profits. Uh, our ability to thrive with each other. So these are all done by agreement. They're not done naturally. Um, we seek protection within groups of people, but those groups of people can easily become um, uh, threatening if we don't have shared interests, shared uh, purpose, right? And so the same too with romantic partnerships. If they don't have a shared purpose, a shared vision for where they are going. And if they don't have rules that govern each other, then they're not going to last very long because people are just too aggressive, selfish, mm -hmm. self-centered, fickle, 
uh, moody, opportunistic, uh, changeable. Yeah. God makes us as humans sound so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but, but we, we have, there are wonderful, wonderful things about us, but we also can't be naive and also understand that we're, uh, we're human animals and we're moving through time. Um, nothing is staying constant. And if we only base our decisions on emotions and feelings, then our life basically takes the same contour as feelings and emotions. And therefore it's up and down, right? All over the place. And, and I think, uh, I, I would imagine in our culture, we base a lot on those feelings, like these kind of mythologies of, of, I mean, I guess you watch Disney movies and, you know, there's this mythology that emotion will solve it all. Like, you know, you'll, right. you'll find it, it'll work out because you just have love. Yes, and we know that love can change on a dime. Right. Um, this is, I'm not trying to be depressing. I'm just trying to be realistic. And we have to have something, we have, we have to have a purpose that guarantees or at least assures that love will, if not, uh, if not start off that way, will be generated and will continue. Um, it's the things we do that generate feelings. Feelings don't generate necessarily what we do in any predictable way. I just had this thought. It reminded me of arranged marriages from many years ago where, you know, people, yeah. partners didn't choose each other. They were chosen for very specific reasons. Um, survival, really, right. like how are we going to survive as a unit? Yes. But over time, I mean, I'm literally just thinking of Fiddler on the Roof. You know, over time, people love you, like learn to love each other and choose each other every day. Yes, because they're living according to certain principles. And it doesn't need to be religious principles, but principles that govern them and, and con puts controls on their behavior, even when they're feeling like doing otherwise. Right. right. That our feelings can't, can't drive this. This contract between us drives our relationship. That's correct. Right. Yes. Right. So I, I guess this kind of gets into the next part of what, what we deal with is, in a way, when we have betrayal, that unspoken contract is um, broken. Violated. And violated. Right. And th that, I think, is, uh, is important in all unions, that when we come to trust others, we're leaning on them. And it, we're leaning on them in a, in a multitude of ways. One is is just there as, as I said, a predicate, as a implicit tacit reality. And that is we're going to, uh, we're going to treat each other uh, as special. We're not going to treat each other as ordinary in the sense that we're just like all others. Uh, we're a special group and we're, we think we're afforded special considerations, like we tell the truth we don't hold information that would change our lives or affect us in a major way. Um, and these, these are basic ideas that allow people to stay together and not go to war, right? Betrayals uh, come in, in a lot of different uh, flavors from the very small, small things. Uh, like I said, I'd be home at seven and I'm home at eight or nine. Uh, to uh, lies about where my money is going and uh, what my affiliations are and whether I have another partner somewhere or anything else that radically affects the sense of, of trust 
in the system and and even uh, uh, on a lower level, safety and security. Right. So Stan, so for anybody who's listening and, and has betrayed their partner, can you explain from this attachment view, this, this attachment approach, why a partner who has been betrayed is so devastated? Why is this a traumatic experience for them such that they describe that they can't really function very well for a period of time? They have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. So what you're referring to is a particular kind of betrayal um, that, that I, you know, I don't have a mnemonic for this or an, anim- you know, it's, um, the reveal of information that if previously known would have changed everything. So that's the specific kind of betrayal we're talking about. So I, I find out that my mother was actually my sister. There, this actually happens. Uh, I find out I was, I, I thought I was Jewish this entire time, but I actually Roman Catholic. Um, I find, you know, any of these things where I thought I was this and I find I am that. I thought I was doing this, and, but it was really doing that. Uh, it creates a problem in the brain. It's a brain injury because uh, the brain now is in uh, disarray, uh, disequilibrated. I don't know what's up or what's down. I don't know what is true anymore. I can't know um, what we were if it was a we and there was a betrayal in the we. What were we? I thought we were this and I don't know what we were. I thought you were this person, and I don't know who you are. I thought I knew myself because I I was there. I don't know who I am anymore. What was I thinking? And the, the brain is going to be offline, busy recalculating history, at least the history that encompasses that relationship, fitting in this new piece of information. It's going to be very busy for a very long time uh, in this new calculus to try to figure out what is reality again. So just on that level alone, uh, that is PTSD. Uh, there's mood instability, sleep problems, eating problems, flashbacks. There's paranoia. There's obsession, perseveration, thoughts that won't go away. Um, th- there are all these things that are normative reactions uh, to an event that is uh, literally earth-shaking, um, and the system is upside down. So uh, I am going to constantly be uh, wanting to know, what did I miss? I'm going to want to fill in the data. What were you thinking? How did you get from point A to point B to point C? At what point did you forget me? At what point did you remember me? Did you even remember me? Was I even in your calculus? Um, and, and, and again, who are you? Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and how can I ever, 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 ever believe you again? There's no way. I can't see a way. Oh, trust me, the other person says. Trust me, I'll never do this again. Well, thank you. That I feel much better now. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, there is nothing you can say um, that can solve this problem for me. Um, but I have to keep asking, where were you? What was this person like? What, you know, why did you go to that bank account? Um, what, you know, what were you thinking? What was I thinking? And, and this goes on and on. It's a terrible, terrible place to be. The person literally feels sick. It, it is. It is so, it's so hard uh, to see that when, when a person's going through that. 
Um, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. So the way I kind of understand it is that when this happens to a person, the structure of their reality is basically shattered apart and the brain shattered goes into a continuous threat response. Would that be accurate? Like a threat response because it can't put the pieces together? It's more than that. There's a threat response ongoing is, am I, am I sleeping right. with the enemy? Who am I with? Right. Uh, am I safe? But then the brain is, is preoccupied, literally energy expending to try to fit puzzle pieces together. Leave that person out. Like I said, if I just only found out that I, you know, I thought I was a duck, but I'm a dog, I would still have the same problem. I just wouldn't have anyone to, to let's say, focus this on, right? So, so just, just take that new information that turns my life upside down, my identity, everything I thought about myself, my theory, life theory. Um, that alone that's is the, devastating. That's the existential add, trauma that we talk about. It is it is a, it is a, a psychological neurologic neurobiological trauma, right? Right. <laughs> that has existential yeah, aspects yeah. to it. Now let's put now let's put attachment in there. Now we got attachment where the person I depend on is no longer who I thought, and I can't quit them because biologically I feel glued. Right? I don't. I don't yes. want this, but I can't quit them because nature says you can't do that. I can feel it, right? Abandonment. And so think of all the things I'm being hit with at once, constantly, constantly, constantly. All of these are existential, by yeah. the way. Right. And it's like this, it sounds like the brain is like pulled all over the place. It's like moving, you know, I'm, I'm close and then I'm under threat and then I leave and then I'm under threat. And it's this back and forth taking so much energy and uh, yeah, expenditure of internal, external resources to try and find some sense of safety in that. That's right. Um, it is, it is, a, it is a, a kind of soul murder. Um, now, now I want to be careful here because in my line of work, um, I, I always think of couples, partners, no angels, no devils. Now, uh, where there's one, there's the other. Now, in this area, we have to reconsider this. Um, not that there's a devil, though there are devils in, on the planet. To make no mistake, there are people who wish harm, who do not care, who are antisocial, and who will do these things because they like to mess things up. They like to screw with people. I'm not talking about those right. folks. I'm talking about the average uh, uh, average, uh, selfish, self-centered, opportunistic human animal uh, who will do things like this because, again, they can, and, uh, and they'll make up reasons for other uh, than that. Uh, and they're not devils, um, and I don't want to portray them as, but they don't, I think, realize the destruction and the damage that they have created because their pain is going to be very different then their partners, the one who is betrayed, their pain, and it's going to be very hard for them to identify it. Yeah, I, I see that. And, and uh, I, I'm glad you make that point because when working with couples that are going through this, you can see the person who has done the betrayal. It, it's not in, like you said, in this intentional uh, way, they just don't actually understand 
understand in that moment what that's going to cause. They don't understand what it's going to cause, and they uh, they don't realize the cost yeah. that it should have, must have, from the standpoint of a therapist working. Uh, this has to cost the person who did the deed, because uh, on the therapist's watch, uh, the therapist has a, a responsibility to make sure it can never happen again, and that takes uh, putting people through a lot of suffering. So. Yeah. So you were talking about a few minutes ago, a partner that's been betrayed, revisiting the facts over and over again, asking questions over and over. We see that all the time and we, we conceptualize it as a desperate seeking of safety, you know, and wanting to, in some way, get the brain to calm down um, and, and to get the reality back. So this sort of revisiting of the facts and ruminating on the facts and asking the same questions over and over can often be a real source of frustration for the person who has done the betrayal. You know, and at some point they say, I'm not going to answer those questions anymore. You know, I've told you this a million times. I don't remember. And that creates a lot of pain for the traumatized, betrayed partner. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on that and how you would approach that with somebody who has betrayed their partner and then is so angry about the ongoing you know, onslaught of questions. Two parts to this question. Let me take the first part. The reason the person needs to know details is because they missed information that you should have had. So this is not about cheating. This is about misinformation, disinformation, uh, withholding of important information, lying, and then also gaslighting, which is the sort of the, the, the cream, the nail that, uh, that uh, closes the coffin, um, the redirection, the blaming of, of, the, of the betrayed. Uh, you know, this is understandable human behavior to get out of trouble, but it is uh, rather pernicious. So, uh, so to the degree that the the wrongdoer, for lack of a better term, uh, doubled down on their on their willingness to evade uh, detection uh, or discovery, um, they are causing themselves more damage, more damage, uh, and the more that they. Uh, do not comply with the wishes of their betrayed partner. The, uh, the longer uh, that the healing will take uh, for the betrayed, if ever, uh, this is seriously dependent. The healing of the betrayed is, depend, is dependent on the perpetrator's willingness to lay bare, yes. lay down, uh, to be the healer. They have to be willing, very hard thing to do, both a villain and hero. Very, very hard gig because they are going to be the target of ire, of anger, of resentment, of blame, of, of being woken up in the middle of the night and asked questions, of, of having to deal with somebody who's crying and grieving, all these things. Their guilt, their feeling of being persecuted is going to have to be tabled and supported by their therapy. Otherwise, there is no hope. Um, uh, so that's item number one. Item number two, since this is a matter of, of information exchange and transparency, it makes sense that the person who misused uh, information should no longer be the gatekeeper of information going forward. In fact, I would say neither of them should have been anyway. 
but that's uh, that was not the case. So the person who uh, who misused this uh, this um, uh, uh, information uh, that should have been uh, exchanged uh, can no longer be withholding information. Otherwise, they are part of again the problem. People have to understand that when there is a, a trauma like this, it creates a huge crater, and everything around that crater is sweeped into the memory. So everything that partner does reminds the other one of something that is associated with the betrayal. They have to understand that, including their withholding of information or being resistant. So if I'm saying, oh, I don't want to tell you because I don't want to hurt you, which is nonsense. I don't want to tell you because anything I say can and will get me into more trouble, right? That's the truth of it. Uh, (laughs) I'm protecting myself, uh, and understandably, right? Uh, but, but here we have to forego the risk, um, of revealing more information with the, the healing of showing there's nothing up my sleeve. I'm completely, uh, I'm showing no signs. I'm holding any information back. That's the only way that this is going to, uh, uh, get fixed if it, if it will get fixed. And I usually, when I'm working with someone who's done the betrayal, and I try and work with them, like you said, extremely compassionately, um, because even though they've done the betrayal, they have their own pain too, in a, in a way. But I, I work with them to tell them, like you, you have to go over the top with your detail of information of what you're doing, and it has to be very, very consistent. If you say you're going to be home at five, you have to be home at five. If you're going to be five minutes late, you have to call them and let them know you're going to be five minutes late. Like over the top that you would not need in a relationship that doesn't have betrayal. And taking it even a step further, a lot of partners, once there has been this experience of betrayal, there's no, like you were saying, there's no wiggle room for, you know, you were home only 10 minutes late right? It's still 10 minutes. And I've seen a lot of stuckness around the semantics, you know, like a partner saying you, you were supposed to be home 20 minutes ago. I tried to reach you. Your phone, you're not answering the phone. And instead of that person coming back with, I am so sorry. I can't imagine how scared you were. It makes sense that you felt this way. It's a lot of resistance. Like it wasn't 20 minutes. It was six minutes. Right. And, and that can do a lot of damage. There's a lack of understanding on the side of the person who did the deed, right? Uh, they feel trapped. They feel they're in jail. They feel that they, they have an ankle bracelet on, that they have to report to their parole officer. And this is a, an idea that isn't going to work. It's not going to uh, get them back into the relationship. They have to understand the nature of trauma, the nature of misinformation, and what it does to trust. And if they don't understand that, they're going to violate their partner again and again. And they're going to think they're doing it because they're trying to wrestle themselves out of being perpetrated upon by their victim partner, right? They think, start to think they're being victimized. They don't understand that this is not about getting even. This is not about rigidity and rules. This is about you break it, you fix it. If you, if you break trust, trust is the only thing that you guys have going for you. It is not love. It is not attraction. It is not common interest. It is not the kids. It is not finances. It's trust. 
You mess with trust, you messed with, you messed with everything. And that has to be put back together piece by piece by demonstration, not by saying, not by words, by showing. Only showing and demonstration can undo what was already demonstrated, right? This was all fact. <clears throat> Can't argue with fact. Now, the other reason the person needs to know everything is they need to be able to track their partner's mind anew. I couldn't predict you. Now I need to know how you do this so I can get a sense, can I predict you? <clears throat> if I can't know you and predict you, I'm not safe. So it is earning, it, it is a way to find out how you think, because if I don't know how you think, I can't be with you. You're, you're not somebody I can be in the foxhole with. So <clears throat> that's fair. But here's the other thing. The only way to pay back into a system where there's betrayal <clears throat> is, to, uh, is to accept the scarlet letter of I am a liar and a cheater. I will gladly accept this just like I would if I went to AA. I am an alcoholic. I understand it. I'm a card-carrying alcoholic. I am, I, I am now the poster child for this. I am going to be open about it. I'm going to teach about it. I understand all the, 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 the behaviors surrounding alcoholism. It's not the drinking that was the problem. It's the lying. It's the hiding. It's the taking care of myself. It's the antisocial part of I do what I please when I want to. I don't care about anybody else. It's all these other um, aspects of personality uh, and the way I move in the world that has to be changed. It's a sea change. When I show you that I am working myself and I'm working to understand and I'm demonstrating that to you, now you can comfortably consider me. That is so, I, that's so well said because, you know, when I, when I work with um, uh, individuals that have done this betrayal, it is, it is so hard for them to to see that and to have to own it. But once they do and they can do it, and when I say they own it in, in, in a self-compassionate way um, so that they, they, they start to heal, um, that's where I really begin to see the shift in the relationship towards, towards healing. You know, it's when that person kind of owns it and, and says it. I've never seen, I've been doing this work since 2006 exclusively. And I've never seen a couple heal where the person who has done the betrayal has not eventually been able to truly understand, on some level, the devastation that this has caused, that break in one's reality and been willing to fall on their sword and you know, honor their new boundaries and prove themselves and all of that. Um, with Still not sufficient. There's one piece missing. Okay, so, Still so one please piece missing. jump in. Uh, I have to dig deep. Ultimately, my search as the perpetrator is not about the harm I did to you. It's the harm I did to myself as well. Yes. Yeah. Because, because the way I move in the world is, uh, is pro-self only. Pro-self only. I've done this my whole life. I come from a family that's pro-self 
probably performance, appearance-oriented. I do it myself. I play by myself. I couldn't have done this if I were actually uh, uh, putting relationships ahead of myself. So there's a fundamental uh, flaw here in, in interpersonal relationships where dependency or interdependency is involved. I can do this, but I'm not a fit partner for an interdependent two-person system based on fairness, justice, and sensitivity. I'm unfit. Um, <clears throat> therefore, I need to do some soul searching and find out how do I do this? Um, how did I go through with it? Uh, what is it in me that uh, that is uh, that has uh, s- such a lack of character, a lack of principle, so as to destroy that which I ostensibly love and destroy my life because I destroyed my life. Yeah. See, so that has to be there. If I'm only thinking about what I did to my partner, I'll do it again. Yeah, and and yeah. so one of the things that I I see is that um, is this what we kind of call a relational triage, right? So we have this 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 it kind of blows up, and the person who's done the betrayal has to own it own their stuff, really take responsibility for it, and then begin to work on themselves. And then when the the, the trauma, I guess, starts to settle, I would say, or, or kind of come down, then they move to working with each other. That's what I kind of see. Would that be accurate with what you're saying? They're going to be working with each other, but they're, this is a process of growing up. Yeah. Growing up is learning how to put away uh, your, uh, all your multitude of impulses and desires for a greater purpose, a greater good, something that's going to benefit me by focusing, disciplining myself on one thing if I choose to do that or decide, let's you and I get together and let's focus on a lot of things. Let's have an open marriage. Let's have polyamory. Let's swing. That's fine. As long as both people are of sound mind, they're not bending reality, and they're in full agreement. Right, right, yeah. That's the consent piece. But we're talking, we're we're talking about something that that the tacit understanding was, "Thou shalt not do this," and uh, it should be actually uh, more than a tacit agreement. People should really sit down and 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 vet and and discuss and challenge each other. And why be monogamous? Why be fully transparent? What's the point of that? And if both people don't find a real personal reason to do any of these things, they're not going to do it because uh, uh, under stress, we're known to do all sorts of terrible things uh, impulsively. So this has to be really thought through. And this takes time when we're talking about healing. This is a long process. This is, doesn't happen in a month or two. We're talking years of work here. With a good, with a, a therapy that is structured and uh, has an architecture that holds people to account, it, it can take uh, as long as a year, but it shouldn't take much longer than a year. Okay. For the for the for the acuity. I think there's going to be there's going to be a lot of a lot of people listening who are going to be um, stunned to hear that. Well, it takes a therapist who's who understands this architecture and is going to say this is this is how this is going to work. And this is how it won't work. Uh, uh, and stick to that. Uh, it's going to be uh, difficult on both people. 
Otherwise, it'll take a long time or it won't happen right, at all. Right, right. Absolutely. So what would you say to somebody who's listening to this and, and, and thinking, oh my God, we've been at this for five years. We've seen seven different therapists and um, you know, we had a disclosure and we've seen 10 different couple therapists and we're still in a, it's a mess. There's a linchpin here and we have to talk about it. Uh, the linchpin here, everything hinges on the victim. <clears throat> the victim has to take their place as having all the power. Now, um, the person who lied and betrayed forfeited all their power. They forfeited all their power. They broke trust. It's treason. Uh, the, you, you, I might take you back, but here yeah. are the terms. And even then, I might not. Mm-hmm. But you're gonna, you're going to, uh, you're gonna. I'm going to ask for the world, and if you want this, you'll do it. Or thank you. Bye bye. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Bye bye. And here's how it's going to go. You're going to be. I'm going to be watching. Now I understand you can make a mistake, but if I have to find you, if I have to catch you, if you don't make your mistake and come in to me right away and say, "Oops, I lied." If I find that I have to find you again, you're gone. You're done. And you know what? I've gone a step further. I'm in the state of California, six months, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, regret law, right? Six months periods. uh, I have to wait. Um, I've started the gears in motion. I filed. You got six months to prove this to me. Now, I love that. I got to tell you, I love that because, because the partner is no longer carrying the sword. The state is. Mm. The partner now is sitting back and show me. And But this is really hard, really hard. Yes. Because, because the, the victim, and I, I'm sorry about using that word, but the person who is the, uh, the recipient of the betrayal is also heartbroken, doesn't want to lose what they've had. Um, is afraid their partner, if they put too much pressure on them, will just give up, is afraid that they were responsible too much for this betrayal, is afraid that um, uh, that if, if this goes on too long, they're suffering, they want to stop suffering, so let's forgive you. Let's let you back in the bedroom. Let's do all these things. So people's, people's willingness to cut corners to get out of pain is, uh, is well known, and that is what's going to cause more trouble. So the therapy or the therapist has to keep both people cast in a certain way and in their spots and not let them uh, waver out because uh, it's the natural human tendency to get out of pain now. And everybody will bend reality, twist things and turn things to do so at their own cost. So the person who uh, is the victim here has to see themselves as being in the catbird seat. You now get to ask for anything. If your partner's not willing to do it, you are not losing anything here. You've already lost. End of story, because this is about quality of life. We're all going to be dead soon. This cannot happen again. I don't trust you. You completely ruined this. I may have done a lot of things to, to contribute to this. And, and in fact, I won't even say I may. I, could, I contributed a whole lot to this, but I didn't do that. Right. Absolutely. I cannot agree with you more, and, Stan. Yeah. 
we have to look at the moral equivalency, but you know, between uh, between something that is annoying and, uh, and and bothersome and repetitive to something that is treason. Right. Right. Uh, treason's treason. And I I would add this. I mean, it, it's this is really hard to do, but when it is done, um, it is really amazing to watch couples come through it because they've been able to do that. And in some ways, I've seen relationships stronger, more intimate, oh, much. more connected that they never even knew existed prior to any of this. But this has this stuff has to happen. There's, you know, those of us who look at structure in uh, in relationship will find there's always a structural flaw or a set of flaws that uh, that allowed things like this to happen. These don't just right. happen. There's a something in the structure to begin with that both people are accountable for that enabled this to happen. And so uh, a couple therapist has to uh, reorganize. They have to build with the couple a new structure uh, that is more mature, that is actually that actually stands for something, that actually uh, 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 builds their self-esteem and closeness rather than just uh, takes things for granted and waits for problems to occur. Right. You know, I, I've always felt like these lessons and things that we're talking about right now should be taught to us in school, that we should learn these things. We are not taught how to, how to be transparent and honest and how to be a two person system and, um, how to be respectful and tell the truth. And it's, it's, and have integrity and how do how do we talk to each other and how do i how do i hold my ego in check when i've done something really horrible and now i need to fall on my sword and acknowledge that i mean these are life lessons that god we need we need to get earlier what's worse is that we live in a culture with all these messages uh, that you can you can lie you can gaslight you can uh, do, get what you want if it's if it's in your best interest or your political right. interest um, it's all over the place uh, we have the opposite uh, and so uh, this is why two people two adults coming together have to create their own culture they have to create it from the ground up what shall it be how will we govern each other? What will be the principles by which we uh, we hold each other's uh, each other to account? And why are we even doing this in the first place? What's in it for us? Well, that that brings up something I've heard you talk about in other podcasts, which I I remember being on a walk many months ago and listening to you talk on a podcast, and this concept blew my mind. As simple as it is, so I want to ask you about it. You talked yes. about <laughs> the importance of partners. Asking themselves when making decisions, not how is this going to impact me, but how is going, how is, what is best for my partner? Because ultimately that's, what's going to be best for the relationship. Can you, can you expand on that? Yes. Well, I, I think it's, it's more than that. When thinking as a two person system, think, uh, think of this, uh, uh, audience as a three-legged race or a potato sack race. Uh, you're in a potato sack race, um, and maybe you're not racing, maybe you're just in a potato sack and that's where you, uh, that's, that's, it's tied to your legs. You can't get it off and you're going to have to move around. How are you going to do that? Unless there's coordination, the coordination of effort and coordination of will and coordination of desire. Uh, you can't govern by threat. You can only govern 
by uh, by um, carrot, not stick. I want this. We want this. Let's do this together. Two different people, two people that we can assume are uh, basically irritating, annoying, pain in the ass, disappointments, like all people, right? Let's start with that basic fact. Now, how are we going to move together in a way that suits us both? Because if one of us pulls against the other, we don't go anywhere. If one of us decides they want to go faster, we fall. So it, it is what it is. And if you think in this way, um, that's a cultural reference, two-person system. Uh, that gives us a sense of what we can and cannot do. Therefore, whatever I want has to be if it's if it's opposed to you, I have to find a way to make it good for you. Otherwise, we won't make it. Uh, you'll resent me. I'll be dragging dead weight. Um, I will pay for it later. Uh, nothing I do to you won't come back, right? Uh, good or bad. So, uh, so this is about uh, complexity, intelligence, working together collaboratively, cooperatively takes a different kind of thought. I have to think in terms of good for me and good for you because we don't want to be bogged down by looking backwards, constantly litigating uh, misdeeds, uh, unfairness, injustices, because that we cannot, we cannot do business, we cannot move forward, we cannot get anything done, we can't accomplish anything. So smart people know they take care of business immediately, they work it out, they apologize, they make things right, they move forward. They make sure that it's fair. They make sure it's good. And we do that by bargaining and negotiating. How about we do this? Let's say I do this and, I, and then you do that. We come up with something that works for both of us. When two people know that's the only option, they'll do it and they'll do it fast. If people think that uh, is not the only option, they won't do it. Right. That's just human nature. And I think all too often people think it's not the only option. Absolutely. And that's when they get into trouble. They, they misstep and they make a decision without their partner's knowledge, without their permission, and they're going to pay for it. Uh, it's just the way it is. Um, and so they're moving together or they don't move. Absolutely. That's the image. They're yeah, moving that's together the image, yeah. they don't yeah, move. I love definitely. that. Definitely. Yeah. People have learned this, by the way, throughout uh, human civilization. This is not a new idea. What do you mean by that? Just what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, throughout yeah. What do you human mean by that? Like what? Oh, the, uh, the famous uh, stories. One in particular of uh, post World War II, uh, not knowing the the war was over. American soldier, Japanese soldier. There was a movie made about it, um, where they're stranded. They don't know the war's over, but they have to survive on an island. Uh, they work together. They become best friends. Uh, uh, people who have to survive together will either die or they'll do it. Right. Got it. Uh, there's nothing like survival that makes us uh, uh, give a reason to interdepend. Two cop car partners, they don't necessarily come from great backgrounds. They don't pick each other. Uh, they're put together in a car. Well, what makes them be best friends? Better friends closer than their spouses are. They have to depend on each other to, to save each other's lives. They're in a hostile environment. So they tell each other everything. They're the first to know things. They start to be secure with each other. Um, and they crowd everything out, uh, else out. So we're, we're talking about uh, a situation that makes people think about what's important. 
Unfortunately, we live in a culture where, uh, uh, except for COVID right now, we is now beginning to, to realize that we live in a hostile environment of unknowns, that, uh, that what we bicker and fight about is, is small potatoes compared to what most of the world is dealing with, bullets flying over their heads. Uh, they have to survive together. They don't argue about the same things we do. They don't have time for it. They're too busy uh, protecting each other, right? And so all things in context, all things in context. We know the capacity of human beings of all kinds to work together when they must. Right. Yes. Wow, Stan. I I think we could talk for many more hours about this. (laughs) And we and we, we will can. maybe we will, we will. because, because it, it just keeps bringing up more and more questions for me but i know we're we're getting close to our our time here um any i love i love the questions and and this is the this is the, the most comprehensive uh interview i've ever done on betrayal uh that I, I i can think of i mean i think we covered the major points yeah. here you know i ha- i have to say i am so happy with where this interview has gone, because I always get a little bit nervous, to be honest, about talking with somebody um, new, not that you're (laughs) new, but talking with somebody who (laughs) I don't necessarily work directly with or know how they work, because I have a very clear way of working. Dwayne and I have really a very specific approach to how we work with betrayal trauma. And that approach has been developed over the course of many years of working with these clients in the trenches, right? With the trauma. And I was expecting on some level to hear maybe uh, a very different approach from you or a very different uh, way to conceptualize this. And it's all so much the same as what Dwayne and I, we say it in different right. words and in different ways, but this is what, this is what we believe so strongly. So it's, um, it's very validating for me. And I imagine it's going to be very validating for our listeners. Yes. Can I close with one, one uh, final uh, point just to emphasize the greatest prediction of a successful outcome in any betrayal case is the the willingness of the the victim again forgive my language the victim to stand their ground um, if they do not stand their ground uh, the prognosis gets poorer and poorer everything hinges on that person saying it's this or goodbye and they're un, uh, unwavering, and they are watching to see whether the person is behaving in accordance to these ideas and these terms. Absolutely. Full, full stop. That changes everything, and that will bring anybody who's a wrongdoer to their knees if they care, they don't want to lose the relationship, and they will do their work. But everything hinges on that person saying, you do it or you're gone. And I, I want to respond to that with two 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 things. Um, the victim, the victim comment. I actually wanted to say that I think that's really important to acknowledge the victimization that happens as a result mm-hmm. of betrayal, and then to say that our goal in therapy and and with healing is to move someone from a from a victim position to a place of empowerment, and that's where what you're talking about comes in. Um, it's so important that in order to move from being a victim and to become empowered, you must be able to own that power and make your, um, your needs known. Let's go full, let's go full, full circle. That's what attachment security is about is parenting boundaries, standing your ground. You can't do that. 
and I'll show you. Otherwise, the person who can do whatever they want is living in a boundaryless, boundless world, which is bad for them. We're not supposed to get away with everything. Absolutely. I. Yeah, this has been an awesome interview and very validating of, of our approach because I, I think we're very much on the same page with the different language, but, but um, similar. But even, even, even some similar language, you know, the word you used the word perpetrator to talk about the person who has betrayed their partner. I use that language. A lot of people do not use that language and they are afraid to use that language or they don't believe it's accurate. So I was really so pleased to hear you you say that. We, we, uh, in in our field, you know, we're accountable to linguistics, right? Our language, um, words uh, heal, words hurt, and everyone has a very different take on words. So I like to use as many words as I can because any any one of them can cause people to feel uh, you know that's that's unkind, that's unfair, that's that's uh, right. But it's very hard to find words to describe uh, these two opposing positions, right? Um, and so the more words we can find, I think the better. Because uh, people use words as a way to bat each other over the head as well. Yeah. You know? uh, but I think everyone understands the spirit of this and that we're talking about a set of behaviors um, for which someone is accountable. Awesome. So Stan, I know you said that you were closing out already with what you said a few minutes ago, which I loved, but I, I have one <laughs> sure. final question for you sure. that I think is so important. Other than domestic violence or obvious signs of abuse, mm-hmm. under what circumstances, if any, would you suggest that a couple is unable to heal or repair their relationship after betrayal? Oh, golly. That's a big question. <laughs> it's a big question. It's, it's, it's a, a big, big question, question because, uh, uh, again, uh, I, I'm more and more of a structuralist than I ever w- was, interestingly, um, uh, as a psychobiologist. Um, I, I think it, it comes down to, to their structure and their agreements. Uh, this a couple coming off of betrayal. This is a a sign that they have to uh, they have to reconstruct anew. Uh, instead of trying to uh, to bail out a sinking boat, I say build a new boat um, from scratch. Take all the data, all the things that didn't work, and let's and let's create a vision and a, a set of, uh, of shared principles that we govern each other by that does the opposite. We have to do, we have to take what doesn't work and, and, uh, and take that as a way to construct something that prevents that from ever happening again. That's the only way out. And there's going to be a lot of other water under the bridge, mixing metaphors here, um, uh, more than just the betrayal. Because uh, usually the person who also uh, is the victim has a lot to account for once the perpetrator cleans their act up. They, the perpetrator cannot, this is important, cannot use as a moral equivalency anything the victim has done unless they betray them, anything the victim has done as, uh, as a, a weaponizing of trying to get them out of this issue. So all of that gets tabled. It it gets explained up front. I understand you have complaints. You just can't use them right now because you're the one that made the mess all over the floor. Uh, We'll get to that. 
So there's going to be a lot of catching up to do once the, uh, the perpetrator does all this work. Now it's the other person's turn. And I think even though the, the perpetrator who's done this, you know, here's this interview, a lot of them want to know this. They don't, they, they don't know how, how to do it. You know what I mean? How to heal it. They actually really do want to heal it, but they get lost. And so it's like, follow these instructions <laughs> and you'll, it takes, yeah, <laughs> it, it takes a lot of scaffolding yes. by the therapist, uh, who knows you guys are in different pain. I'm going to support you. And I would understand nobody would judge either of you. If you jump ship and you decide you don't want to do this, it's going to be very hard. But if you stick with this, I promise you, I swear to you, this relationship will be better than you ever imagined. I can make that promise. They may fire me before then, right? But I won't. Right. I, I will not let them do anything other than than what I expect, and that is a absolutely secure functioning relationship. Um, and it's a matter of will, uh, uh, not not anything else. Will how much do you want this? What are you willing to do to get it? Now, one last thing to the perpetrator, I say, what do you get out of all this? You get to be a better person. Absolutely. And they love it when they get there, you know. But I tell them ahead of time too. You, that's going to be your reward here. That's going to be the 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 you know the, the the carrot here at the end of this. You get to be a smarter, wiser, more compassionate person, and happier person, and a very much much happier person. And yeah. Stan, I knew the day that I met you when Florence, my dog, <laughs> fell in love with Florence. <laughs> fell in love with Florence. I swear to God, I felt such a like you were a kindred spirit. You seemed like such a. I just, I just wanted to get to know you, and I, I really, truly am so grateful that um, that we've had this opportunity. Yeah, and after COVID, Florence and I are going to oh, come. Goody. Visit oh, oh, <laughs> I want to be there too. No, I want to be there too, my Stan. T- my tell, my well, t- yes, away. Dwayne, I'll, I'll be here. Okay, you got it. And Stan, if if you ever, you know, if you have anybody who ever would benefit, obviously from this podcast, please feel free to yeah. to let them know. We um, I will definitely we'll post it on our on our site for couples. If you if if you're okay yeah, with that, definitely. Okay. Thank you so much, Absolutely. Stan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your your passion for this and for being with us Thank today. You. Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you're finding the podcast helpful, please support Dwayne and Marnie in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma. If you are finding the podcast helpful, Please support Marnie and Duane in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.